Welcome. If you have your Bibles or phones, get them out. Let's, let's, uh, let's read scripture today and think about how it applies to us. Um, one of the things I love about Foothills Church and one of the things that every one of us as believers needs to be committed to is that we don't follow people. We don't, we don't find our favorite people and follow them and believe whatever they say. We're people who open up the Bible, we read it, and we are committed to following Christ. And we're thankful for leaders, we're thankful for teachers. We want to find people that are faithful, that will faithfully point us to Christ. But we want to be people who personally follow and obey Jesus. And we know what we know what God wants from us. We know how God thinks because he's explained it to us in the scriptures. And I love that. Um, uh, last week, man, wasn't that powerful and encouraging, that play? And I love it. It was so biblically faithful. And throughout that play made very important points uh, that flow right out of scripture. And I've talked to a lot of people that have just been very encouraged after seeing that play, which was just a, it was a play in case you didn't see it, uh, about a person who um, pictures themselves standing before Christ and giving an account for their life. And in the play, you don't realize it until the end, but it's a dream. And then he wakes up at the end and he's so relieved because this is a person who has not lived his life faithfully. And then he wakes up realizing it's not too late, I still have time. And just in my conversations with people this week, people have been so encouraged. And I just think, what an incredible gift. Because for every single one of us, it's not too late. We still have time to live our life faithfully for the Lord, to evaluate what motivates and what drives us. It's so encouraging. And, um, you know, and, and people have been very inspired to live faithfully. And uh, as I think about that, this morning, we're going to focus in on what Scripture says. And uh, there are two very important things. Uh, the one that we'll look at in the, our very first point is that um, Christians, this judgment that was discussed last week and that we'll be reading about this morning, is not the judgment of salvation. It's not, this, God doesn't look at our works and evaluate whether or not we should make it into heaven based on our works. But God does evaluate the way believers live for the sake of reward. And we are going to be judged. God is going to evaluate us. Jesus himself will evaluate us. And as I think about through scripture, and we'll look at some of this this morning, we're going to be evaluated on our motivation. What drives us? Why do we do the things that we do? We're going to be evaluated based on the content of our life. Uh, do we do things that are of eternal value? Are we faithful to Scripture or are we disobedient to Scripture? And we're going to be evaluated based on the stewardship of our life. What have you done with what God has given you? And that includes your abilities, your talents, your resources. Well, what did you do? Did you invest those in eternal things or not? And so this morning as we evaluate this, um, and it will be an encouraging and inspiring time. And I want to just point out Proverbs 4.23. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. And it is so important that we have a heart that loves Jesus and that loves people and that we guard that heart, that we inform it, 
because that is our motives. That is what drives our life. You know, as I think about um, being a believer, um, I'm just so encouraged that accountability is coming and that it is not too late. And, And from the moment I became a Christian, I'm very thankful for the people in my life that emphasized this. I think as a new Christian, this was one of the most significant things I thought about. And I would say to this day, it is the thing in my Christian life that I think the most about, that I struggle the most with, and that is, do we do the things that we do? Do I do the things that I do with pure motives, with a desire to please the Lord, with a desire to honor the Lord? And uh, just creating that as a habit where, where we're practicing doing the right things for the right reasons. And, um, and so that's the thing that I think about the most. It's, it's so easy to slip up. It just takes a moment to not think about what you're doing, to not evaluate that carefully. And so it is an incredibly significant thing. And I am so thankful that uh, people in my life, when I was a new believer, emphasized this for me. Um, in my parenting, I would say this has been the biggest theme of my parenting. Because I want to train my kids to live their life with the dr- being driven and motivated by a desire to please the Lord. Not trying to take religious behavior and cram it down on people. Do this. Say this. And I think about how much church and ministry is driven by external behavior and motivations. Like I'll never forget, you know, going to this youth we're, we're going to do this youth conference. You've got all these youth pastors around. And uh, they're telling the kids, hey, invite your friends to come to this thing. And if you do, we will put your name in, the, in a drawing for a snowboard. And the person you bring will put their name in, a, in the basket for a snowboard. So invite your friends to church to hear the gospel so you can get a snowboard. And tell your friends, hey, if you come, you could get a snowboard. Have you ever thought about how much people live life trying to create and motivate external behavior that doesn't flow out of the heart? Instead of saying, do you, want, do you love and honor God? Do you want to see people come to know the Lord? Invite your friends. When you're inviting your friends, tell them, hey, we're going to have a lot of fun. But actually, the point of what we're doing is to think about and evaluate our personal standing before the Lord. How much of life and ministry, um, how much of things that happen in churches completely ignore what God says about the core of life? And so this morning... We are going to consider that, and we're going to see three important things. The first one is that Jesus is the only foundation that leads to salvation. Jesus alone. He is the only foundation. Second thing is that Jesus will personally evaluate every believer. (laughs) You are going to stand before God, and he is going to evaluate the content and the motivation And he's going to evaluate the life that you lived. And then we are going to be rewarded based 
on Jesus's evaluation based on the quality of our work. And so let's read this passage and then let's dive into it and let's start in verse 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 6. It says I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. In life, who gets the credit for everything? I mean, it's God, right? Verse 8, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. You know, we are God's fellow workers, and, and th- that is a very amazing thing to think about. Um, God actually, the Bible tells us, works through us. Um, Philippians 2, uh, 12 and 13, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't say work for your salvation. It says work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then I love the second part. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Like, this is an amazing thing. We cooperate with God, but actually every good thing we do, God empowers us to do. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, we're saved um, not by works, but we're saved by faith. And then verse 10 goes on to say that God has created good works for us to walk in them. So it's kind of interesting, and theologically, this is like one of those challenges. How is it that every good thing we do, God does through us, and yet he's going to reward us? And I think that 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 is a part of this thing that Paul's talking about, about how um, he planted, Apollos watered, but God caused the growth, and yet he talks about how we participate in ministry. And this is so significant. Okay, that was all for free. Um, Verse 10, and here's our passage this morning. According to the the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And that is salvation. We'll come back and look at that more. Verse 12, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. And if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So when when it comes to this passage um, this passage is a place that, that people go to develop doctrines that are not in Scripture, that are actually satanic, designed to take people to hell. I don't know if you've ever heard of the doctrine of purgatory. 
uh, purgatory is when you die, and then you go and you suffer, and while you suffer, you are being purified. You are making up for some of your sins by your suffering after death. Um, That, by the way, anybody who holds to that or believes that is not actually even going to heaven. Uh, Who died and paid the price for our sin? Jesus. Did he pay some of it? Did he leave some of it for you to suffer and make up for? And so what Satan does is Satan wants people to trust things that will send them to hell. And actually this passage is one of those passages where people want to develop this doctrine of purgatory. As we read through it, (laughs) it's not in there. Uh, There's another one, and that is that people believe this is a judgment for salvation. This is God evaluating our works to see if we're going to get into heaven. That is definitely not true. Uh, Anybody who is trusting their works, their good deeds, any external action to move them into heaven is not actually going there. And that's what Satan wants you to do. He wants to trust your works instead of putting your faith and trust in Jesus. Now, there's another evaluation of this passage, which is wrong. It won't make you go to hell if you believe it. And that is that this is not talking to every Christian, that this is only talking to church leaders. So we get our elders and bring them up, and this only applies to them. And that's not true either. So let's uh, jump into this, and let's look at it. 1 Corinthians 3.10. According to the grace of God given to me, verse 10 and 11, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds on it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now when you think about um, Paul's preaching, and, and we've gone all these passages that we've gone through. The, the Corinthians are having this conflict; they're struggling with each other. They're having all kinds of tension. And what does Paul do? Paul goes back and he says, "Okay, let me explain to you the nature of salvation, what salvation is, how a person gets saved, and the focus is on the gospel." Right? Paul says, "I came to you not with eloquent words of wisdom, but with the gospel." so that your faith might rest in Jesus and on the gospel and not on earthly wisdom. Uh, Jesus, or Paul talks about how he preached Christ. He knew nothing among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The apostle Paul came and laid the foundation of Jesus. Now, when you think about the whole issue of judgment and eternal salvation, that is very significant. I just want to read this passage, Acts 17:30. Paul's preaching, and he just says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he's appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. There is going to be a judgment for salvation. And uh, that's the great white throne judgment. That is described in Revelation chapter 20. 
where uh, in Revelation chapter 20, it talks about Satan and the false prophet and how God takes Satan and the false prophet and casts them into the lake of fire where they will burn forever and ever. In fact, it says the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And then he goes on and he says, and then death and Hades, and he just talks about everybody else who's died, who doesn't know the Lord, and it says that God gathers them, and they give an account for their life. They give an account for their deeds. And anybody whose name is not found in the book of life is cast into that same lake of fire with Satan and the false prophet. And so there is a judgment for salvation, and in fact, the apostle Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 5, where he says, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. And it's interesting because he's talking about the judgment seat of Christ, but that we as believers, we understand that we will give an account for the way we live life. We're going to give an account about whether we're living for things on this earth or we're pursuing the salvation of the people around us, understanding the fear of what it means to stand before Christ without the benefit of his death and resurrection. Think about John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We are saved by our faith in Christ. And uh, just in this, from the whole perspective of Jesus being the only way, this is what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When the apostles were preaching in the book of Acts, they said there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.19, that passage that Paul was talking about, how do people get into heaven? Well, verse 19 of 2 Corinthians 5 says that, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. The way we get into heaven is that when Jesus died on the cross, God punished him for our sin. As believers, we don't stand before God and get into heaven or give an account for our sin. Now, did uh, you guys pick that up in the play last week? Remember? how Jesus would say to this, um, this gentleman, this isn't a judgment for salvation. I took care of that. Um, Romans 8.1 says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so that's something that's important for us to understand. We are not saved by our works, but it is a devastating thing for anybody who stands before God to give an account and doesn't have the benefit of Jesus. And that was the foundation that Paul was laying. So let's consider the second thing here. Um, actually, yeah, okay. Let's consider the second thing. We are going to, Jesus is going to personally evaluate every one of us. Think about that. Was, were you encouraged by that? Were you inspired by that? Just thinking about this gentleman last week who's just 
giving an account for his life. And remember the, the one person in youth group that got saved and, and how he was just expressing, man, I really needed you. <laughs> you, were the only, you were the only reward I had. Everything else in my life got burned up. And uh, have you thought about if God evaluated your life, if you stood before Jesus, what would that be like? Look at what it says in verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So, just want to comment on purgatory as we look at this. Each one's work will be tested by fire. It does not say each person will be purified by fire. It says your work will be tested. Um, It's not just your bad works that are tested by fire. It is the good works that are tested by fire. That whole doctrine of purgatory that you're there suffering for your sins, the fire is not focused on the wood, hay, and straw. It's focused on everything, the good and the bad. It is a measure of works. And it doesn't say that the fire changes anything about the works. It doesn't purify them. It tests them. It manifests them. It discloses which is wood and which is gold. So it's not, the fire's not doing anything. It's not changing anything. It's just revealing. So um, and in addition to that, there's no punishment here. And so anyway, if you, you know, one of the things I found is like whenever you're talking to somebody, a cult or a false doctrine, anything, and they put the Bible in front of you, <laughs> You don't have to be an expert. Just read what is right there. Read what happens before. Read what happens after. Um, False doctrine never comes out of Scripture. It is always a casual, inaccurate reading of what's there. And the whole idea that this is a judgment about salvation, not possible from reading that, or that it only applies to elders. Um, one of the things you think about is, is the Apostle Paul is talking to the Corinthian church. This is not a discussion from him to Apollos. He's talking to everybody in the church. The other thing is who builds the church? Who's the one who's building up and making disciples? Is it the leaders? What does Ephesians 4 tell us? That God gives leaders to equip the saints for the work of service, and that as the saints are using their gifts and speaking the truth in love, the body builds itself up. It is everybody who is building ministry. Uh, That's one of the things that is, uh, I think, can be such a struggle and such a strain, is people can go to church every week, and they can think, I'm here for a presentation. I'm here for a show. Uh, I wonder what will happen. By the way, this is why this, this whole debate about online church versus in-person church. There's a lot of people who said, you know, there's no difference between going to church online or actually showing up on Sunday morning. So why don't we just make this convenient and go to church online? But did you know you cannot do church 
when you're not in person. Because this is not like watching a football game on TV. It is not like going to the stands at some football stadium and watching church happen. Like we're not watching the game. We are the game. We are the players. Uh, the pastor and the elders, they're like the coach. And everybody in the church, they are the players. And so the only people who think that going to church online is okay are the people who actually go to church incorrectly themselves. Because if you show up and you're sitting down and watching a show, you don't actually understand church. Church is where Christians use their gifts. It's where they speak the truth in love. It's where they, the church builds itself up. Going to church every week is indispensable in a Christian's life. Like one of the things that I think about as a kid growing up, the single most greatest contribution that my mom made to my Christian life was she took me to church every single week. And I learned by habit and I learned by that what God actually expected. I mean, this is not a surprise, right? Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, do not forsake the assembling together. And I think one of the biggest mistakes we make as Christians, as Christian parents, and as the church is that we don't actually teach people what church is. And so this is this whole doctrine that this only applies to pastors and leaders. It flows out of people who have no concept of what the Bible actually teaches about church. So let's jump in there. Jesus is the one who's going to be a judge. He's going to be the judge that we are going to stand before. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. We're going to hit this in just a few verses. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things that are now hidden in the darkness. And who will disclose the purposes of the heart? And then each one will receive his commendation from God. You know, Jesus is the one who's going to judge us. The Apostle John, right? He was the one who was leaning on Jesus' breast at the Last Supper. Uh, he was Jesus' buddy. He calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. And it's funny, you read the book of Revelation, and the Apostle John sees Jesus what does he do? Does he run up and give him a hug? Oh, Jesus, buddy, nice to see you. He sees Jesus, he falls down like he's dead because he sees the holiness and the righteousness of Jesus. And the apostle John thought about in his life the day that he would look at Jesus, this friend of his that he loved and that loved him, and he thought about giving an account. And his John loved the people that he ministered to. And you want to know what he said to them? He said, abide in Jesus, stay close to Jesus, so that when you see him, you don't shrink back in shame. Like the, the thought of standing before a holy Jesus, knowing that we will give an account for everything we did in our life. Like that's something that should seriously get our attention. And I would just say it would inform every single thing that you do. So um, the wood, the, the gold, silver, and precious stones, 
What is that? I think that's a motivation of, and, and this is the challenging part of this passage, is that that's not exactly defined. What is the gold, the silver, and the precious jewels? And, and then the wood, hay, straw, and stubble, that's not specifically defined in this passage, but it is defined in Scripture. One of the things I find is that all these doctrines, um, there's no doctrine that you have to go to one place in Scripture for. I mean, the major, the important doctrines are all through Scripture. And so here's one of the things that, that without a doubt is communicated everywhere is that um, gold, silver, and precious jewels, that is your motivation. What motivates you? What drives you? Why do you do the things that you do? It is doing the right things for the right reason. Those are two important things. One of the things I think about often in my life, the wood, hay, and straw is doing the wrong things. So if you do what's wrong, that's, that's wood, hay, straw, and stubble. And if you do the right things for the wrong reasons, that is also wood, hay, straw, and stubble. So a person who loves his friends, who knows the Lord, who has been spiritually rescued. And he thinks to himself, all my friends, my family, the people that I know, they're going to be separated from God. And I want to honor God. And I want to love God. And I want to reach the lost. And so I want to invite my friend, come to church, come to youth group. Hey, I'll pay for you. I'm willing to invest money in things of spiritual significance. And this kid's just thinking to himself, man, I got all this money. I could buy myself a new stereo for my car, but you know what? Now I'll enjoy driving my car around, and I'll enjoy listening to music, but if I could take that money, and if I could give it to my friend so he can afford to come to camp, and he can afford to hear the gospel, now I don't even want him to know that. I'm going to secretly go to the youth pastor, give them my money so that he can call this kid and invite my friend and tell him he doesn't have to pay because... I would rather spend money on something eternal than something temporary. When that drives and motivates that kid, and by the way, I just want you to know that has happened many, many times as a youth pastor where I see kids driven and motivated by that, where people have come and said, my friend's lost and he needs to be saved, and they're, in, they're willing to spend their money to help their friend get to, get, get to and I'm just looking at these high school and junior high students who are spiritually driven, and they are motivated by things of eternal value. That's the right thing for the right reason. Now, the kid who invites 10 friends because he wants to get a new snowboard, hey, inviting your friends to the church, that's a good thing, right? Um, but when you do that so you can get a snowboard, that's the wrong reason. And you want to know what I, what's interesting to me? People have these bizarre views of teenagers. And they feel like teenagers just kind of naturally grow out of things. You know, that's not true. People don't grow out of sin. People don't grow out of bad motivation. People are trained and discipled and taught and prayed for and encouraged. And often we look at sinful teenage behavior and we just go, oh, all teenagers are that way. 
You know, one of the things I noticed as a youth pastor, I <laughs> look at the junior high kids, man. I take all these seventh grade kids to camp, the way they talked about each other, the way they treated each other, the things that they did. It's like the junior high drama. And then I'd go to the women's retreat. Oh, yeah, I was in charge of stuff. I didn't put on a dress, go to the women's retreat. But you go function with all the adults, the women's retreat, the men's retreat. You want to know what you find out? The exact same thing. You got these junior high kids. I want to be in a cabin with my friends. And then you go to a women's retreat or a men's retreat. And you got people going, I'll go, but only if you put my friends in my room. You know the thing I realized? It looks different, but if people don't learn to be driven and motivated by a desire to please the Lord, they just grow up, they do different things, they live the same way. And so God's going to evaluate the motivation and the content and the stewardship of our life. Hey, is this Paul coming up with this? Isn't this the very first thing that Jesus taught? Um, the Sermon on the Mount, right? Matthew 6, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. How many people give and they want the credit? How want everybody to know how much I give. How many people pray and they want to say good things because they want other people to say, wow, what a good job you did. How many people study? so that they can be smarter than everyone else and they can show up and show everybody how much they know. And Jesus says, um, you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Um, Jesus says, do everything you have to be noticed by God, not the people around you. Don't do it, for, don't do it because of how it looks. By the way, this is one of those things that um, nobody has an affair, nobody falls into sin, nobody lives an ungodly life unless they have first ignored this. This is not the last step of disaster. This is the first step to disaster. You ever heard of a pastor or some famous person and then and they're doing all these things and they're so amazing and they're so talented and they're so brilliant and then all of a sudden it comes out that they're living this wicked sinful life that didn't just happen one day so when you think about yourself and actually this is actually one of the things that God intends for us to look for in leaders we're looking for people who are driven and motivated by the right things. We are working on being the people who are driven and motivated by the right things. And if all you care about is talent and ability, man, how, how great is the guy's voice? How well does he play his musical instrument? Let's put him in charge. Instead of looking at the life and saying, what are the clues that this person lives for the glory of God and not for themselves. And when you think about your own life, I, just so you know, if you don't deal with what's inside of your heart, um, you know, if you sow to the flesh, you will from the flesh reap what? 
destruction. Plant these little sinful things in your life. You know, it's one of the things I think about, you know, I'm just going to throw this out there with the Internet. You know, so we get so common with, with sexual immorality and looking at inappropriate things on the Internet. It's like everybody does that. It's become like this common part of life. Do you realize that every time you do that, you are planting a seed? Like, think about where does lust in the heart lead? And, and what I would say is in all of these things, deal with things when they're small. Deal with your heart. Deal with your motivation. Um, don't think that you can get away with these things. In fact, um, it's interesting um, 1 Corinthians 4, 5, therefore don't pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden. Eventually God's going to bring everything to light. When we stand before God, he'll bring everything to light. But sometimes God chooses to bring things to light in this life. And those are all the people that we hear about the scandals. God just said, yeah. You've been living in sin under the surface long enough. I'm going to let everybody see what's going on. And we need to be people who are concerned with our internal motivation. You know, when you think about the Apostle Paul talking to Timothy, um, he just says um, to Timothy, take the things that you have heard from me in the presence of many people and entrust these to faithful men who will teach others. Um, be diligent, First Timothy or 2 Timothy 2.15, to present yourself a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed, handling rightly the word of truth. So it's our motivation. It's also how do we handle God's word. And then Tim, uh, Paul ends up with Timothy um, at the end of chapter 2, just saying, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So God cares about your motivation. He cares about the content of your ministry, and he cares about your personal holiness. And these are the things that we will stand before God and give an account for. And then here's the third thing, is that Jesus will reward or not reward based on the quality of our work. This is not a judgment for salvation. This is a judgment of reward. Look at what it says in verse 13. Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. <laughs> Notice it doesn't say if anyone on the foundation survives. It's the work that's being measured, not the person. If, anyone, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a, war, a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So what's, what's the point there? You are not being judged. Your salvation is not at stake with how well you perform or how faithful you are. 
That doesn't get you into heaven or not get you into heaven. You know, it's interesting. Um, some of these places that teach false doctrine, same ones that teach purgatory, they teach that there's no way to know if you're actually saved, no assurance of salvation. Do you know why? Um, if your salvation's based on your work, if your salvation is based on how faithful you are, man, you'd be kind of nervous, wouldn't you? I know I would. You ever blow it? You ever think to yourself, man, what if, what if right at the end I screw up? What if I mess up and do the wrong thing or say the wrong thing? What if somebody puts a gun to my head and says, you know, deny Jesus or I'm going to kill you, and I, I'm so afraid I deny Jesus? Or what if somebody puts a gun to my wife's head or my kid's head and says, deny Jesus or I'm going to kill your family members? Man, what if, what if in the last moment I compromise? See, if your f- salvation is based on your works, man, you would never have confidence. What does Jude tell us? The end of Jude, now to the one who is able to keep you, who's able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in God's presence blameless with great joy. You know, our, our, our trust and our confidence in our future is not because of our works. It's because of the work of Jesus. And so we're people who are going to be rewarded and uh, that, that reward, uh, when you think about the reward, I think about Matthew 6, 20, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. You know, the reward that we're going to have in heaven is valuable and it is permanent. It can't be lost. When you faithfully do the things that God has called you to do, God never misses any of it. And you are storing up for yourselves treasure in heaven. You know, um, Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians 9.25 says, Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Uh, 1 Peter 5.4, talking to the elders, when he's talking about their reward, he says, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And so it's permanent and it's valuable. But I think ultimately, it's standing before Jesus who loves us and who is, gives us his approval. Man, I, I, the, the fact that Jesus is going to say, well done. You know, I think about the Apostle Paul at the end of his life. He's looking forward to seeing Jesus because he lived his life. You know, Paul didn't live his life perfectly um, because he's a human. There's only been one perfect person. That's Jesus. You know, I, I, you know the, the, the Bible tells us that the heart of man is deceitful above all else. Sometimes we might think we're doing the right thing for the right reason, and the truth is we may be motivated and driven by things we don't even understand. And so none of us is perfect, and we need God's help to do anything of value. But to stand before Jesus and to have him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Man, that's what we want to hear. That's that's. You know, God's approval is so encouraging. What does it mean to suffer loss in this context? It's easy. It just means you have no reward. You, anything you might have been rewarded for, it's gone. You get no reward for doing the right things for the right reasons. 
Have you ever heard somebody say, um, I don't care if I'm rewarded, I just want to make it? Uh, have you ever thought that? Like, I just got to tell you, like living a sinful life as a teenager, finally coming to Christ, I just thought to myself, I don't care if I ever get rewarded, I just want to get to heaven. So what if you bump into me next week, and I'm just super excited, and I'm happy, and I'm celebrating, and you go, Roger, man, why are you so excited? And I just said, oh, man. So a bunch of weird things happened in my life. I needed to change banks. And so I went to the bank, and I withdrew every dollar, everything I, I have in this life. I just put it in a big bag full of money. And I just thought, man, that's amazing. Look at all that money. It would be a small bag, but look at, look at all that money there. And I took it to my house, and I was going to go to this other bank and deposit it. And uh, it was weird because my homeowner's insurance lapsed, you know. And so I was just figured, well, I'm going to go pay for my homeowner's insurance in cash. And uh, all my family was at my house. It was awesome. I had all my money at my house. My family was at, at my house. All my kids came. They brought their spouses. We were all hanging out together. And while I was, like, laying there in bed, I start smelling this smoke. And I got up and I ran out of the house. And you know what? The house burned. And every single thing I own is gone. All my money burned up. Every possession I had burned up. Every single person in my family died. They, they all died. But guess what? I'm so excited because I got out. Do you think anybody at a moment like that would be celebrating? Now think about the person who says, I, I don't care if I get rewarded, I just want to make it. I think it's going to matter how we lived our life. I don't think we'll end up standing before God saying, none of it mattered, I just want to make it. And I would just go beyond that and say, you know, I don't think to myself, I really want glory and credit in heaven. Like that is not what drives and motivates me. But I do want God to be pleased with me in my life. We're going to take a moment and we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And um, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, um, um, the, the band will come, and, and I'm going to read a few verses in a moment, but the, the band will come. And uh, as they play, we have bread and, and, and juice up here. When you're ready, go get it and take it, eat it, drink it. And, um, and as we're doing that, we are celebrating the death of Christ. The basis that we have eternal life is the work of Jesus. It's not because we're good enough. It is because Jesus was good enough for us. And here's the amazing thing. Um, the Bible tells us in uh, Ephesians chapter 2 that we were spiritually dead, meaning we had no desire to please the Lord, but God made us alive and he gave us a new heart and this is the crazy thing God and he fills us he strengthens us he allows us to live life for him and then he rewards us man we're rewarded because of what Jesus has allowed us to do because of what he did on the cross and we make a mistake if we think about those things which are absolutely true and then we divorce the fact that God's asked us to live and be faithful and to give our whole heart to him. That takes diligence, focus, purpose. We can't be lazy and careless in the Christian life. 
but we are not working for our salvation. Jesus accomplished that, and that's what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper. Um, I would just encourage you, if you think about your life and you just go, man, I, I don't live for Jesus. I sin against people in my life. Um, I have sin issues in my life. My encouragement to you is confess those. Ask God to forgive you. Ask him to help you change. Isn't that amazing that in the Christian life we go from being sinners to being pure just because we pray and we ask God to forgive us? So before you take the Lord's Supper, put yourself in a right con condition. Confess any um, unrepentant sin in your life. Let me read this. Um, <clears throat> it says this in um, Matthew chapter 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples. And he said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is, the, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of this vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you that our standing before you is not based on our works. You took care of everything. And yet, Lord, I ask that you would help us to be driven and motivated by your pleasure, that we would not live for the approval of men. We would live for your approval. And, God, that we would be good stewards of everything that you give us. Help us to be faithful, to use your word correctly. And that, Lord, we ask that you would bless people um, through us. And we know ultimately, Lord, that you're the one who saves and you're the one that helps people grow. And, Lord, I just thank you for your death and your resurrection and that you're coming back in your name.